Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. Pope Francis led a pilgrimage of peace to South Sudan, which ended on Sunday. It was unique enough that it saw missionaries head to Africa more as diplomats to broker peace than as clerics to preach the gospel. But what truly distinguished this pilgrimage was that the Pope's delegation included Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury and leader of the Anglican Church, and Ian Greenshields, the moderator of the Church of Scotland. Here is how the National Catholic Reporter hailed their pilgrimage on Friday. The delegation arrived in South Sudan on February 3 for an historic ecumenical visit offering a joint and impassioned appeal for peace after a decade of raging civil war in the world's youngest country. No more of this, Francis begged during an arrival ceremony at the presidential palace. No more bloodshed, no more conflicts, no more violence and mutual recriminations about who is responsible for it. No more leaving your people a thirst for peace. End quote. Except that the historic irony and historical symmetry seemed lost on everyone. After all, the Pope and his delegation were emulating not only the 19th century missionaries who travelled to Africa to Christianize and civilize the natives, but the 19th century explorers who scrambled there to colonize the land not to mention the mockery this pilgrimage made, of the categorical imperatives that led to decolonization across this dark continent over 60 years ago. In other words, the Pope and his delegation were still assuming the white man's burden, which Europeans assumed centuries ago, to rationalize their colonization of Africa. Far more damning, though, is that this neo-colonial uh, pilgrimage betrays the insidious failure of Africans to govern themselves without resorting to tribal warfare. After all, the whole world hailed South Sudan in 2011 not just as Africa's newest nation, but as one born free of the legacy of European colonialism. Yet it proceeded to repeat the same old mistakes that made it seem like just another benighted post-colonial nation in Africa. It is notable, though, 
that South Sudan's drive to independence was fueled by international outrage over the Arab government in Khartoum supporting Arab Janjaweed militias in a campaign of ethnic cleansing against black African Christians in the Darfur region of Sudan. Francis's predecessor, Pope Benedict, never led a pilgrimage of peace, but I bemoaned the fate of those black Africans in commentaries like, Darfur says, thanks America, but the genocide is done. On March 13, 2006, and Myanmar cleansing Rohingyas the way Sudan cleansed Darfurians. Remember them? On August 30, 2017. Yet here we have now independent black Africans committing the same kinds of genocidal crimes against each other that Arab militias committed against black Africans in Darfur. This black-on-black -black conflict features Dinka militias who are loyal to South Sudan's President Salva Kiir, fighting against newer militias who are loyal to his former Vice President Raik Masha. But 64 groups have been involved, to varying degrees, in an orgy of ethnic violence that has seen over 400,000 slaughtered since independence. Of course, Christians have always perpetrated mass violence in the name of Christianity. Therefore, it seems perversely fitting that both Kier and Mashar profess devout Christian faith. No doubt this is why Francis invited them to a joint audience at the Vatican in 2019 to discuss their decidedly unchristian conflict. The Pope was reportedly so moved when both agreed to heed his admonition to end the bloodshed, that he humbled himself by hobbling to his knees to kiss their feet. Unfortunately, these pugnacious politicians proved to have no greater regard for their vow of peace than pedophile priests have for their vow of celibacy. Perhaps this is why, after meeting separately with them in South Sudan, Pope Francis didn't bother to channel Jesus Christ again by kissing their feet. Mind you, the only reason the Pope summoned them to the Vatican in 2019 is that ethnic violence made the peace deal they signed at a summit in Ethiopia in 2018 not worth the paper it was written on. What's more, neither Kier nor Mashar seemed the least bit concerned that their conflict was exacerbating the chronic famine that has defined life for millions of their people. For his part, Pope Francis probably lost much of the reverence local political and religious leaders had for him when he previewed this pilgrimage by condemning laws that criminalize lesbian, gay, 
bisexual and transgender people. After all, South Sudan is among the majority of African countries, 32 of 54 to be exact, that still enforce such laws as a matter of religious faith. Meanwhile, reports are that Rwanda's Tutsi government is supporting Tutsi militias in a campaign of ethnic cleansing against Hutus in neighboring Democratic Republic of Congo. This threatens not only to reprise the genocidal conflict which these two tribes raged so infamously in Rwanda, but also to draw the DRC and Rwanda into full-scale war. I share that because little is being made of the apostolic visit the Pope made to the DRC before joining the Archbishop and Moderator in South Sudan. But this might be because that visit was only intended to be ceremonial. After all, given the DRC's rest of history and foreboding future, a pilgrimage of peace there would be tantamount to a mission in purgatory. Which, of course, should have been instructive. Indeed, it's arguable that, in this context, even I am more prophetic than this Pope. Because, if he had read my blog commentaries on South Sudan, he could have spared himself the humiliation of kissing the feet of congenital warlords masquerading as political leaders. In fact, just the headline to a few of them would have given pause even to a man of his faith. They include South Sudan descending into heart of darkness on December 30, 2013. South Sudan, another genocide developing in Africa. On December 19, 2016. And South Sudan, Africa's newest nation, repeating old mistakes. On June 4, 2018. But despite the Pope's unheralded visit to the DRC, I'd be remiss not to cite equally cautionary headlines. Namely, Genocide in DRC, Rwanda with a Vengeance, on April 6, 2005. Rape as a Weapon of War in DRC, on October 18, 2010. And DRC's Heart of Darkness gets even darker on December 4, 2014. All of this just affirms my abiding fear that Africans will never learn. Notably, it's why there will be no end to African migrants turning the Mediterranean Sea into a vast cemetery. I have bemoaned their fate repeatedly, as follows. 
I just hope the damning irony is not lost on any proud African that 50 years after decolonization, hundreds of African men, women and children are risking their lives practically every day to subjugate themselves to the paternal mercies of their former colonial masters in Europe." End quote. Truth be told, every time I comment on famine, conflict, or chronic dysfunction in Africa, I think, there but for the grace of God, go I. Because blacks in the United States and the Caribbean, with the notable exception of Haiti, must look at the life of the average African, whose ancestors were not harmed by the European slave trade. And thank God we are here and not there. In fact, the hopeless state of affairs in South Sudan reinforces the prevailing view that there is not a single country in Africa where blacks are better off than we are in the United States. And this, despite the legacy of slavery, which manifests in the scourge of endemic racism over here. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.